This is your host, Caitlin Cook, and welcome back to the Dead Kate Bounce Experience. My guest for this episode is Adam Bloomberg. Adam is co-founder of Interaxis, co-founder and lead curriculum developer of the CDAA, or Certified Digital Asset Advisor designation, and co-founder of PlannerDAO. A certified financial planner who has been in financial services for over 12 years, Adam created and launched a company dedicated to educating financial professionals about digital assets, cryptocurrency, blockchain, and other alternative assets in 2021, a course and certification to teach financial advisors how to make digital assets part of their practice, launched a YouTube channel with over 10,000 subscribers, and was one of the creators of PlannerDAO, which is the first decentralized community for advisors, which has grown to over 1,000 members today. So it's safe to say Adam has been keeping himself busy lately. He and I come from similar backgrounds of educating the financial advisor community on crypto, and I wanted to dedicate an episode to covering all things registered investment advisors. While it's not considered to be the sexiest profession within financial services, advisors like the ones Adam is working with to educate will play a major role in this space, whether you realize it yet or not. Why? Crypto investments require financial planning, tax planning, and estate planning functions just like any other asset and often with more nuance, which is exactly why most, if not all, investors will benefit from having a trusted guide to help them navigate the space in the future. Not including broker-dealer firms that offer wealth management services such as Morgan Stanley, UBS, and Merrill Lynch, the RIA industry makes up over $100 trillion in assets under management. This is a whale of an industry that I'd encourage my listeners to take note of as we see crypto adoption continue to grow. With that, please enjoy my conversation with Adam. All opinions expressed by your hosts and the podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of the hosts or any of their affiliates. This podcast is for commercial and informational purposes only, is not investment advice, and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. We are not recommending any securities or cryptocurrencies, nor is this an offer or sale of a security or cryptocurrency. Adam, long time no see friend, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you. I know, long time. We, we get to talk a lot lately. Yes, uh, crypto circles are much smaller than you think. It's a very uh, decentralized but small world at the same time. So super excited to have you on the podcast. And as I sort of alluded to in my introduction, you and I have similar backgrounds around financial advisor education. But today, obviously talking about crypto and financial advisors. So I think it'd make the most sense to start out with just your origin story first as a financial advisor and how you got into crypto in the first place. Sure. So I, um, um, I'm, you know, of course, really glad to be here and happy to share kind of the crypto origin story. And first, we'll start out with the financial advisor origin story. Uh, so way back, I actually owned a, uh, an IT company, I don't know, a tech company that I sold uh, in 2008, mid 2008, uh, that was not meant to be like prophetic or anything. I didn't like see this huge downturn coming. I just didn't want to own the company anymore, and I sold it. Uh, and I didn't wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. We had the big, you know, market, the, the financial crisis, recession. I decided to get into financial services in January of 09, and I and I worked with uh, Mass. I, I started with Mass Mutual. Um, at some point in there, I. Uh, my, my partner, Ron, and I decided to leave Mass Mutual, start our own RIA. And it was in 2017 that uh, I decided to start to, to buy my first crypto. And I, the first thing I bought was actually ETH. It was not Bitcoin, it was ETH. And my reasoning was silly. I went on to Coinbase. I didn't even know how to buy crypto. I'd ask Ron. I went in and I went on to Coinbase and I said, did you realize that there was more than just Bitcoin? And he said, yeah, I, I know that. So... Bitcoin at the time was like, I don't know, $4,000. ETH was like $180. And so my silly reasoning and not knowing anything about crypto was I said, well, I'm going to buy ETH because obviously it will go up to the same $4,000 that Bitcoin is, right? Like, so I'm making the smart financial decision by doing this. Uh, and that was kind of the crypto origin story. Then a few, you know, a couple months later, maybe Ron said, did you know that we can trade these? And I was like, yeah, there's, but there's only three. He goes, no, no, no there's thousands. And so introduced me to Binance and Bittrex. Um, and I had to know why there were thousands. Like that was so 
bizarre to me. I had to figure out why there were thousands. And that sent me down that, you know, proverbial rabbit hole that we always talk about, where I said, I have to understand what this is. And one of the first things I did was I, like, I learned Bitcoin, of course, but then blockchain technology. And it just, it was, it was really cool for me at the time, because um, going back even further, when I was in college, 93 to 97, that's the origin of like the internet. Right. So I kind of got to see what happened with the growth of the Internet. And I didn't really take advantage other than like I, I use the Internet a lot. Right. Like I got sports scores and I, you know, I did fantasy football and all those fun things. But I didn't really take advantage from a, like a business career perspective. So now I was going, this is kind of the same thing. I want to jump in here and whether it's learning about it, whether it's teaching people about it, whatever, I want to be a part of this. This is going to be so similar. And it actually has kind of followed that same trajectory. So that's a, a little bit about the kind of crypto origin story of Adam. Love it. Don't want to make the same mistake twice on missing the boat there. So, and then, like you said, internet and crypto, right? I mean, we, we talked about this on a recent podcast that we recorded together as well. Like what the internet did for communication, crypto is really doing for the transfer of value online and a lot of other functions as well, but just a natural progression towards a digital world. So you obviously saw that with like, you know, the, the coming of the internet, that was a little bit before my time. So can't, can't um, say that I learned from that the same way, but at least you took the situation that you were in originally and kind of, you know, use that as a base and thought, I, I don't want to miss the boat on this. This is something that I should... Um, you know, plant a flag in the space or at least learn about it, if nothing else, which leads us into the conversation around crypto for financial advisors. And there's a lot to talk about when it comes to the widespread adoption of crypto. You know, we've seen it like primarily, at least historically speaking, retail driven. And we've seen that continue. Um, of course, like you mentioned, thousands of coins and tokens, hundreds of exchanges, tons of different DeFi projects. It's part of the reason I started this podcast, right? Is there's so many things going on that it's hard to narrow down kind of what, what where you need to start and then where to go from a learning standpoint. But when you see all of the headlines, right? It always seems to be around larger institutions, corporations adding Bitcoin or other cryptos to their balance sheet, an endowment or a pension, getting any sort of exposure to crypto, huge firms like BlackRock always getting spotlighted. And when we talk about the financial advisory space, it's not usually the, the most quote unquote glamorous or sexy profession that people think of or associate with crypto, but it's really, really important. And when the UBSs, Morgan Stanley's, Merrill Lynch's of the world get onboarded. Those are huge firms that'll make mainstream news. But for most of this episode, I want to talk more specifically about the independent, um, the you know registered investment advisor space because those probably aren't going to make headlines quite as much. But it's like sort of a sleeping giant, right? It's over a hundred trillion dollar industry, and we don't really see media talking about it much. But why should people care? about looking at how this space approaches crypto in the future? Um, look, I think what you're talking about, there are a lot of different ways to go with that, which, you know, of course I appreciate and we have plenty of time to, to discuss that. And that's what we talk about almost every day. And there are, you know, at least a few different ways. One is from the side of crypto. You say, look, the, the crypto people, whether they're exchanges or custodians or protocols or whatever, haven't really embraced the financial advisor space. Other than like you said, the big institutions, right? Everyone wants to get the hedge fund and the private equity fund and the 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 um, uh, the, the pension funds and stuff to put a hundred million dollars into Bitcoin or something. And that that's big news. Very few of them have gone the route of like, let's go get the private RIA or, or the individual RIAs to teach them to go put client money in. And the reason is part of the reason is because they don't make a big splash, right? Like. If I go, if you get an RIA that has five advisors to understand crypto enough that they get on a platform and say, we can start putting client assets in this, it's going to creep in at five and $10,000 a pop, which doesn't move the needle day one. And everyone in crypto wants to move the needle in a huge way right now, because that'll make the number go up. Right. And that's just from the crypto side. This is, I'm not talking about from the advisor side. I'm talking about from the crypto side. That'll make the number go up. When Mass Mutual puts in $100 million, that makes the number go up, right? That, that's, a, that's a splash. When Adams RIA in Texas decides to add it, it doesn't make a splash, but the little RIAs are, are kind of what we need. So that, that's a big piece is the crypto people, the exchanges and such have 
haven't gone that direction because it's going to be kind of a slow crawl into getting more adoption. The other reason is because from people who are very, very focused on the ethos of crypto, the decentralization, the disintermediation, advisors are kind of seen as one of those intermediators that, that take fees, right? That, that we take away from what investors could be earning. And that, that's kind of the ethos of crypto is let's take out some of that, that intermediation. Let's take out some of those intermediaries and take some of that money back. And so from a lot of people, honestly, that, that are heavily into crypto, they go, well, now we're just giving it right back to those financial advisors. You and I both know that financial advisors serve a vital purpose here, which is helping people keep their money safe, helping them keep allocated, understanding what their needs and goals and plans are and figuring out how their financial life works. And this is a piece of it. Whereas a lot of people in crypto go, oh, you're just, everyone should be able to do it for themselves, right? Everyone should have their own custody and, and manage their own funds. So that's where it comes from a crypto perspective. On the advisor perspective, um, getting into crypto, it's it's a huge learning curve, as you and I both know. Like we're, we, you know, we joke around all the time, we're be beating our heads against the wall, trying to get the, the advisor community to, to learn it and to adopt it. Oh yeah. <laughs> there's the obviously the perceived risk. There's the regulatory risk. There's the idea that uh, I have to go through a whole lot of education and learning curve to put a small piece of my client's assets in, is it going to be worth it for me to, to do this? And for a lot of advisors, it's just, it, it's just not there yet. Like the, the, uh, the reward is not there for the risk. So I hope that kind of answered your question about why both sides are, are a little skittish about dealing with the other. No, absolutely. And, and there's a lot to get into there, right? So thinking about the side of why it would be important for a financial advisor to learn about this. Multiple reasons. Um, I think one is the big buzzword sort of generational wealth transfer, right? A lot of the financial advisors, core demographic of who makes up that role, not really the first group that you'd think of for coming around to technological advances, right? It's probably people mid-30s or mid-30s, mid-50s. Uh, who am I kidding? Mid-50s towards the latter end of their career, probably pretty settled in their business, and crypto would really come along and cause some disruptions in that. So I think for for some reasons, with you mentioned compliance and the regulatory um, ambiguity that we've seen, that would be something that's off-putting as well, as well as an excuse for not getting into the space. But if you are a financial advisor that's looking to build your business for the long run, think about who's going to be inheriting a majority of the wealth and not just the next two to three years, but in the next five to 10. And what that demographic cares about, that is not your clients now, that's the kids of your clients. And those are people who maybe like me grew up around televisions and iPads and had phones in their hands. The tech and kind of the digital, digitally native sort of idea of crypto as a whole is going to be a lot more appealing and make more sense to that group. So from a business standpoint, as an advisor, trying to position yourself for the future, I think it makes a lot of sense to at least start incorporating crypto from an education standpoint. And I think one thing that we've talked about offline that I'd love to hear more from you on is the, the sentiment around your clients will be doing this with or without you. So advisors can either make the jump to start learning about it and get involved, or they're going to see their clients working with other advisors or trying to do that themselves. So maybe a little bit of you know color on the, the comments that you made offline about that. Absolutely. We, we saw what, the, the last couple of years when people started trading on Robinhood because they could and they were home and they had money and they honestly had no idea what they were doing, but they started doing that. Um, we saw it, of course, years ago with robo-advisors. We've seen it with, with Robinhood. We've seen it with Coinbase. Uh, it, investors are, if they want to get into it, they're going to do it. If they want to get into a certain asset class, they're going to figure out how to do it. And the rails are there for, that enable that, right? It's really easy to set up a Coinbase or Gemini account. It's really easy to connect your bank. It's really easy to buy it. So if you're a financial advisor, your clients are doing this with or without you. And it would be better, in, in my opinion, for you to at least know about it enough to have a conversation with them, even if you're not actually going to manage those assets, even if you're going to be able to talk to them about it and say, let's talk about what your what the, the risk profile is. Let's talk about where this fits in with the rest of your investments. Let's talk about how much money you're putting in. Have you made money? Have you lost money? Let's talk about taxes, estate planning, all these other things. Again, your clients are going to do it with or without you. You might as well be giving them advice on it because look, if they do it without you and they do well, they're going to start doing more of it without you and start taking more money out of the accounts that you manage. 
And then you're going to look up and go, why, why did I lose all this? Maybe now it's time for me to start learning crypto. And your client's going to go, I already know more than you do. So why do I need you now? Right. Yeah. So again, they've, people speak with their money. Their money has said, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go invest in this. Yeah, definitely. And let's get in a little bit to the different considerations that a financial advisor would need to think of when it comes to integrating crypto. This is something that, you know, this podcast, hopefully for more of the traditional finance crowd, but not everyone's that is listening to this as a financial advisor. What does it look like to incorporate that? And what value can a financial advisor add specifically when it comes to crypto or any other assets rather than the client doing this all on their own? It, it can, uh, what we've seen is it can go in so many different directions from here, so many different um, places along the scale of a, an advisor understanding enough about crypto to have the conversation. Like that's where it starts. I understand enough to have the conversation. And step one might be, look, I, I just have clients that I know have crypto. I'm not going to necessarily advise them on it. I'm not necessarily going to uh, manage their assets, but we can at least have a conversation. And from the advisor perspective, I'm going to tell my clients, it's okay. I, I understand it's okay. Let's at least discuss it. I'm not going to make you sell. I'm not going to make you sell everything you've done in crypto and put it all into an S&P fund or something. And let's just discuss. And part of that discussion, look, you can bill for it or not. But part of the discussion can be, let's just talk about what you have. Why did you do it? What is the risk you have? And then are you keeping your, your money safe? How are you keeping it safe? And if I'm the advisor and I understand crypto and wallets and security, then I can help my clients actually keep their money safe. In the wake of what we saw recently with Celsius and Voyager and, and such, that would have been just a huge gain right there. That would have been a huge value add if my client, if I'm an advisor and my clients came to me and was like, hey, I have my money in, you know, in, in crypto, but it's at Celsius and I could go, you know what, like they could, you know, theoretically, here's the, the counterparty risks that you're not seeing. And maybe you don't use the words counterparty risk because your clients might not know it. Um, you as an advisor definitely know it now. Um, maybe you move that into a, a hard wallet or something or move it on another exchange or something. And that would have been a tremendous uh, value add right there. The next step is, you know, maybe I'm going to charge you some sort of project fee or hourly fee just to go, look, it's okay. I don't need to manage your assets. I can't right now. However, it's a thousand dollars for me to look at your crypto portfolio, figure out where it fits. We're going to talk about, uh, we're going to talk about wallet management, key management and estate planning and everything. And it's a thousand dollars now. It's a thousand dollars a year to keep updating it. We've seen advisors go that route all the way up to, you know, like the assets under advisement to say, look, if you have $100,000 in crypto, it's not at a custodian that I help manage, that, that I'm a part of. However, it's going to be part of what I help you manage. I'm going to help you with keeping it safe. Again, all, all of those things, but now it's a significant amount of money and I help it, have to help you with it all the way up to the full on AUM, which is uh, I'm going to you know, create a portfolio for you. I'm going to help manage it for you. I'm going to do it as a, at a custodian we trust. I'm going to have, I'm going to have, you know, model portfolios and rebalance and everything. So we can run the gamut from, from the perspective of the advisor working with the client of, we're just going to chat about it to I'm actually going to manage your crypto assets and, and, and all the different, all the different revenue models that spring from that. Yeah. And, and all of this starts with education, which is one of the big reasons that, first of all, you and I met in the first place, again, coming from the same background in one way or another of doing crypto education for advisors. But you specifically have launched the Certified Digital Asset, um, kind of the CDAA designation for financial advisors, trying to get them up to speed on crypto. When it comes to, you know, Firms may have different outlooks in terms of the compliance risk, the regulatory ambiguity of crypto. But when it comes to purely education, what are the most important things that financial advisors and the, uh, the RIAs, which is the entity, the firm, what should they be considering first? I know you mentioned kind of the custody component of it is obviously really important, as well as, you know, this estate planning, tax planning and all of that as well. But it can seem like a lot at the forefront to try to absorb when it's one part of your broader business. Right. It seems like a whole lot, especially if you're following it, like if you're learning about crypto by, by virtue of whatever you see on CNBC and what some influencer says and uh, random YouTube videos. And I say all that with all humility, knowing I have a YouTube channel. Um, but like one is be careful who you're learning from. That, that's a, a big part of it. Be careful who you're learning, who you're getting your information from. The other thing I can tell people, uh, advisors is 
you and I both think it's important to know and understand some of the technical aspect. This is a, this is very technical. It's all digital. Um, it, it involves, you know, cryptography and hashing and all these words that we use, but it's somewhat important to understand, in my opinion, the technology of it, because that's what's going to get you to things like custody. That's what's going to do several things for you as you're talking to your clients. One, it's going to help you understand kind of what some of the value proposition is, right? So when your clients come to you and like, I saw Bitcoin went up or Bitcoin went down, understanding some of the technology is going to help you with some of the objections. And mostly it's going to help you understand where your investment thesis even is. Right, because if you don't if you don't get why there's only ever going to be 21 million Bitcoin, if you don't understand what a having is, then those kinds of in parts of the investment thesis don't make sense to you. You go, why can't there be more than 21 million? Or or why does it only have to why does it get cut in half every four years? Like those kinds of things don't make sense if you don't understand the technical part. Part of the technical is also understanding wallets and custody. It's a different type of custody than you're used to. You're used to your clients are, you know, you custody at Schwab or Fidelity and they hold on to your client's assets and they have a whole bunch of forms ready for you when you want to fill out, when your client wants to open an account. Um, and this is very different. Bitcoin and crypto is built around the idea that I'm going to have custody of my own assets. Equivalent to back in the, you know, early 1900s when, I had custody of GE stock by virtue of the fact that I physically held the GE stock certificates. And if I wanted to sell them to you, Caitlin, you gave me cash and I gave you the stock certificates. And now you're the owner of those stock certificates. If that's kind of the idea of Bitcoin. And if you don't understand that technology, then it's going to be really hard for you to help keep your clients safe because you're not going to understand how to evaluate custodians or talk about whether your client's assets should be on something called a hard wallet. And I'm throwing out all these terms that most people who haven't learned this don't understand. And it's somewhat important. We've several in the space have actually made it easier. There are crypto custodians that make a lot of this process a lot easier. But if you don't understand the tech, then you can't do your due diligence to figure out what, what providers you're going to use. And you can't do your due diligence to figure out what my investment thesis is and who I should listen to when I start thinking about, is the value going to go up or down? Is this a good investment for my clients? What's a good allocation? And if you don't understand the tech, then you, you can't get there. After that is now you can get into like monetary policy and theory and all that. Um, but, but before that, understand a little bit of the technology, I think is, is first and foremost. Yeah. And one of the important things that you said in that is due diligence, right? There are a lot of, you know, we're both on fi uh, finance Twitter, right? And there are a lot of people with very strong opinions there, financial advisors and otherwise. And zooming out and thinking about kind of the macro landscape and big trends, crypto is a huge one that we've seen rise in prominence over the past few years. And this all comes down to not personal opinion of whether you believe that this is magical internet money that's going to fail and is a Ponzi, or if you think that it's the best thing since sliced bread um, or anywhere in between, it's all about due diligence. You're a financial professional that has been tasked with managing people's assets and hopefully growing and um, you know, protecting those assets. And if you have clients coming to you with questions on crypto, we could get into an argument and I have on Twitter many times around kind of the fiduciary responsibility of financial advisors. Is it um, truly exercising the, or adhering to the fiduciary responsibility of kind of best interest of your clients if you're just refusing to even learn about something like this. I'm not saying to put your client's money in it or not, obviously never giving recommendations there. And that's very specific to the client, their risk tolerance, et cetera. But if you're leaving out an entire part of the market, that's not even up for consideration, that could, I, you know, there's a reason that there's a big debate about it and people have very strong feelings there, but it all comes down to doing your research. And from there, you can form an educated opinion that you can share with your client that is actually based in fact rather than just opinion. Exactly. I, you, you're right. I, I feel like it's the fiduciary responsibility of the advisor to, to if you're going to have an opinion about it for your client, at least have the education to back it up. And if you are, if you learn about it and you're still against it, that's fine. That, that's, that's up to you and that's up to your relationship with your clients. And, and you as the advisor can look at what your client base looks like and your business looks like and go, look, I've learned about this. I still don't believe in it. I don't have time to learn it. I'm you know, older in my career or whatever. It doesn't make sense to me. I don't want it to be a part, but at least you do it from the perspective of, of from a, a platform of education and knowledge. And you're able to say no. 
if you've only done it because you've heard someone else say that it's a bubble and it's a Ponzi and, it, and it's, you know, it's, it's going to pop and it's going to go down and there's no value, then you're actually, in my opinion, not adhering to your fiduciary responsibility. It says if my clients want to invest in something, it's my job to at least learn a little bit about it, especially if it's as big as what crypto has become. Right. If your clients want to, you know, in, invest in some scheme that their buddy has, that's a that's a little bit different. It's not your job to go investigate that. If it's as big as crypto has become, if it's as ubiquitous, as easy for your clients to get into, if they want to do it on their own, it's kind of your job if they if they want to talk about it to learn a little bit about it before you render an opinion one way or another. Yeah. And think about the headlines that your clients are seeing, right? That's the retail crowd. They're seeing what everyone else is seeing when they open up their phones, open up Twitter, open Instagram. They're seeing headlines every single day about crypto, whether they want to or not. So any curious client or anyone that has been you know, not hiding under a rock is going to know about it and will probably have questions. So to your point, you know, being open to having a conversation is really critical at this point. And the space is moving forward with or without you. It's not saying you have to be on board. It's just saying that if you wait five to 10 years from now, even just to get educated, you're going to be left behind. And it's not to say that the the entire crypto space is going to take this traditional system that we have and completely replace it. I, again, like my, my big thing is that it's going to be kind of have a symbiotic relationship with the traditional world we know now, but it's going to be a part of it. And it's only going to become more deeply, you know, rooted in the systems and everything that we use today, fingers crossed. Um, so just got to get started. We hope so. Yeah, we, we, we think it will. And <laughs> Caitlin, like, I don't know if we, if we plan to go this direction, but in, in being more deeply rooted, I mean, you and I both know a whole lot more about crypto and DeFi and wallets and, and all that than probably most people. There's the the aspect of helping my clients potentially buy Bitcoin and ETH and hope it goes up in value and hopefully we keep it safe and secure. The next level, the next steps are going to be actually participating in decentralized finance protocols. It's actually being able to earn yield that way. It's actually being able to use part of it kind of like a bank. And eventually it's going to be like several of my assets are going to be custodied. Uh, it, on, on different wallets, on different chains and such, because that's how they're, they're engineered, that's how they're built, um, and, and that's where it's more efficient. So if you learn about this and you see, like, this might be, and I'm not saying it definitely is, but this, is, this probably is the way that the economic system and the value system is going to go from a, from a perspective of um, maintaining value, of, of tracking value, of keeping the, the settlement layer, all those things that we talk about, then learning now is a, is a pretty good time, right? It's not super crazy right now. There aren't that many assets that are denoted on chain. As an advisor, like you're probably good to get your clients into something like Bitcoin and ETH and, and be okay. And you can then slowly kind of learn what else is coming and decide if you think it's for you and, and if you want to be there. But if all of a sudden your client comes to you, you know, in, in five years and is like, hey, I, you know, I need help. And you go, all right, show me your, all your assets. And they show you a wallet address and you, you haven't learned anything about it. You're going to go, I, I don't understand what you have. And, and your client might have a million dollars worth of, of value for all you know, but you're not going to know how to deal with them. Right. And that's going to be a really tough time to, to come play catch up. So now is the time to start because then you can iterate slowly through. And, and we'll talk about this too, I'm sure. As you get more compliance, like more regulation and such, you, you're going to be there along the way versus, again, having to play catch up years down the road. Yeah. I mean, I, I consider it a business hedge. Like you're, you're hedging for the future because you don't know what will come, but you want to make sure that you're prepared no matter the situation. So say crypto blows up and worst doomsday scenario, it, this all goes up in, in flames and we never hear anything of it again in three years other than old stories. Maybe we see this blow up in, in a positive way or depending on how you look at it, where crypto grows in prominence and becomes more deeply rooted in, you know, the entire financial system and whatnot. It becomes more widely adopted. Investors are, it's its very mainstream to own crypto and interact in DeFi protocols. You're really just hedging for not knowing what the future holds from getting educated. So i that's kind of my, my state, uh, my uh, position on it, just because when I used to work with advisors as a wholesaler, you'd talk to advisors who wouldn't believe in ETFs, didn't like emerging markets, didn't like junk bonds or high yield but you know what? If a client came through the door with a question about it, 
they would be prepared to answer it. And they'd be able to have an educated reason for why they felt the way they did about it and why it might not be a good fit. The same should be um, said for crypto. And that's not even from the standpoint of working in the space and believing in it. It just seems like common sense to me that you want to be prepared for whatever comes in the door. Exactly. And again, advisors in the past have been educated about those things with, with you know, at least some degree of, of education. About it. Now, you and I can both admit crypto is a little bit of a different animal when it comes to education, because it, it takes a lot of going back to the drawing board. It takes a lot of like understanding technology, which you don't always have to have when, when, you're, um, when your client walks in with some sort of um, junk bond or something. You don't have to go back to like understanding what money is to, to understand what a junk bond is. You, you kind of know that. So this is a, a little bit different animal when it comes to education and understanding the technology. Now for advisors who go, look, I don't, I don't want to learn it. I don't know if it'll be a, a big deal. You know, a few things I can say uh, to that is going back to my history in with, with the internet first, kind of my origin story and the business is this, the early days of the internet, um, again, when I was in college, 93 to 97, Amazon had kind of just launched. You could barely buy a book and, and you could put in your credit card and get any book you wanted in the world. And it might take two weeks to get to you. And by the way, that was crazy talk. Like the fact that you could put in your credit card and expect a book in two weeks, but everyone else, you know, all the, the parents would go, well, you can just go to Barnes and Noble. Why, why are you going to go buy a book online? I don't understand the appeal of this internet thing. Right. And the early, the early narrative of the internet was stock price. It was nothing but stock price. It was what's the price of Amazon, Yahoo, AOL, um, Ask Jeeves, whatever all these websites that came around were that launched and were IPO'd within like a few months. It was all about the stock price. No one knew what the internet did. No one knew what the companies did. The companies didn't make money. Some of them didn't even have revenue. And all of a sudden they were worth billions of dollars. And then the, the internet crap, the, the dot-com bubble burst, right? Which is all the money went out of it. The stock prices all crashed down. Amazon famously went from like $98 down to two. And lo and behold, like after all that, we built the internet, right? It's really cool now. We can't go two minutes without it anymore. And, and that all came because of that early interest kind of in the, the stock prices that brought in all this money that of course crashed. But then we actually built all these use cases. We said, okay, as people get online, as people start sending email and buying books and trading Pez dispensers on eBay, now what are we going to do? What's the next thing? Well, I'm trading Pez dispensers on eBay. It would be really cool if I didn't have to go back to my bank and I had this cool thing where I could pay, pay you straight in, in through eBay. Well, that became PayPal. Well, that's been you know, relatively important, right? The idea of PayPal in the world has, has kind of been important. It's produced untold number of trillions of dollars in value in the world based on who the founders were. So all that kind of grew after the stock prices went up and came back down. And people said, this internet thing is going to work. And we can find all sorts of headlines that say that. And it kind of works, right? We can't, we can't go a day without it. The other thing I'll say in, in terms of looking at history and deciding if you're going to learn this, and I know I'm, I'm being a huge advocate and getting on a soapbox and all those things, but- Go for it. <laughs> gave me the platform to do it, so I'm going to do it. Um, for financial advisors in particular, financial advisors didn't like index funds because they took part of their role away. And then they didn't like ETFs and they didn't like robo-advisors and they didn't like discount brokers. And here we are and financial advisors are still here. You're still going to be here. You're still important. This is just the next version of the technology that's going to make some of the, the money, make some of the money movement more efficient. Uh, it's, it's honestly, you don't believe this, but it's going to make it somewhat safer um, it, it's it's going to give the individual, the investor, including you, if you're an investor, more control over your own money. But everybody's still going to need help with their finances because no one, for the most part, is going to take all day doing nothing but managing their crypto portfolio. They're going to go to jobs. They're going to earn money. Some of that money is going to be denoted on chain with a using a blockchain and they're going to have to use wallets and stuff, but it's still going to be them earning money and figuring out how to spend it, figuring out how to use it, how to invest it, how to save for their college, their kids' college and their own retirement and their houses and their cars and everything else. The advisor is still going to be ridiculously important just as they were through index funds and discount brokerages and ETFs and robo-advisors. So, but with all of those things, with all of those, uh, um, 
incarnations with all of those efficiencies that were created, the advisors complained about it at first, and then they figured out how to use it, and then they thrived with it. So it's going to happen again. There is a 99.96% chance of it. And I always reserve the 0.04 for like we get hit by an You never know. Never say never. But you're right. I mean, this is cyclical. And it's it's one of those things where it's not that the job is going away. It's just that it shifts in like what the job itself looks like and what advisors are catering to specifically. But the job is still the job. And there's still value that advisors will be able to add. This isn't removing that. It's just changing the way that it looks. Um Kind of looking at one of the most important topics for financial advisors, you and I both know this um, explicitly, is compliance and regulation. So definitely can't do an episode on this without at least um, touching on that for a couple of minutes here on the state of regulation in, in the U.S. at least for crypto specific to the financial advisor crowd, what they care about, what they're waiting for, and so on. That's a big one. I don't know where you want to start with that, but we'll go whatever way you take it. Um yeah, that, that's, uh, I think that's a, the biggest part probably of what advisors are waiting on is some guidance in relation to crypto, uh, DeFi, tokens, whatever it might be. And the wor- my feeling is the biggest worry, well, two big worries. One is um, if the SEC is going to decide that all of these tokens that you can invest in on Coinbase and Gemini and such are in fact securities, and we're not registered and they're going to get fined or they're going to have to get delisted or something. And that's going to drive the value down. Then as an advisor, if I put my clients in that and all of a sudden the value goes down because of something the SEC did, then where, where am I liable? How am I hurting my clients? How am I hurting my business? All those things. That's a, a big problem. Uh, we're waiting on some sort of guidance and it would be great to have it. I don't really see it coming anytime soon. Uh, and I'm not going to get it like overly political about, about how it works. Just, to say, I don't think that guidance is coming soon, even with the executive order from this administration, even with things that the CFTC is trying to do, even with all these bills that are proposed, the problem is not everyone is on the same page. The problem is crypto doesn't fit neatly into any boxes because you have you have parts of it that are that, that fit within the securities realm and the investment realm. You have part with, parts of it that look like commodities, parts that look like banking, parts that look like actually issuing dollars that hit all different parts of the government, all different regulatory agencies, all different parts of Congress. And it's no secret that in the US, uh, not all people in Congress don't like to play nice with each other. uh, And they have all sorts of other issues they're they're arguing with each other about. And crypto is probably pretty low on that totem pole right now of things that they're gonna argue about. So I don't think there's gonna be a lot of guidance anytime soon. And that's a big sticking point with advisors and totally understandably, you don't wanna put your clients into something that, that is going to go to zero or, or go, you know, lose value because of something that the SEC decides to do. The other part, as you know, is I think a lot of advisors are waiting for the SEC to just approve a spot Bitcoin ETF. Right? I was hoping you were going this way. <laughs> Let's talk about it. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're hoping. Everyone's hoping. Like, look, if they would just approve a spot Bitcoin ETF, an ETF that it literally holds a Bitcoin in it. That would be so much easier. Um, that's what I think a lot of people are waiting for. And before I say any more, I'll let you jump in here and talk and ask and, and whatever. But we both know that that's like the monster elephant in the room. You approve that and the floodgates open. Oh, yes. This is, you know, I, I talk about compliance being a topic we have to cover with this, but a Bitcoin ETF, a spot ETF in the States. So many financial advisors that I have talked to have either said that they're waiting for that to be approved to get their clients into crypto, that that's the only way that they would allocate their clients to crypto. And I I personally think that it's an excuse for many of them to push it off until it gets approved, which as you and I know, could be a very long time. Um, From the standpoint of the technology itself, right? I mean, we like many, many of our peers think that this is sort of like putting training wheels in a Ferrari tech wise. It's like having an ETF for a single stock. Um, it doesn't necessarily make sense in format, um, technologically speaking. Um, we don't need to get too into that, but it's sort of an easy button for financial advisors. And another part of this that I think we can talk about as well is as um, much euphoria there is in the as there is in the crypto space, and as much as you and I and many people care about the the many things that crypto brings along with it the giving power back to the individual and allowing them to truly own their assets the 24/7 market liquidity everything like that it seems great in theory but 
it might sound harsh to say a lot of people just want exposure to the price action. They want to see the line go up and to the right. And even if we see an ETF as a suboptimal vehicle for getting exposure, it's the easiest thing for advisors. And it's easy for a lot of retail investors too, because it's what they know. So not sure what you want to add there. I know we've talked about this at length offline, so lots to cover there. We, we, we have. And so it, from a technology perspective, um, I'm, you know, I'm kind of against a, a Bitcoin spot ETF. And the reason is because owning Bitcoin is a Bitcoin spot ETF, right? Like there's, it, it's incredibly easy to do just from a, an individual investor perspective. You can go buy Bitcoin and now you own Bitcoin. It's, it's that simple. Um, and the whole ethos of Bitcoin, the whole idea of it was to take out all these intermediaries. And now what you're saying is take, take the, um, the most kind of exciting, influential, new uh, financial technology to come out in the last hundred years and throw it right back in the wrappers of the traditional finance system with rules that go back a hundred years so that everybody can charge fees on it and so that advisors can put it neatly into their stack. That from an ethos perspective kind of hurts. Right, because because all of us that are you know that really like crypto and DeFi and such go, you're, it's kind of icky, right? Like that's not really what it's meant for. Now, it'll make the price go up tremendously, because now you have a bunch of ETF uh, fund managers that all of a sudden have to go buy an insane amount of Bitcoin and and provide liquidity there, and so the price should go up. On top of that, you have an insane amount of money that'll come into Bitcoin spot ETFs because it's been sitting there waiting. It's been in retirement plans. You know, IRAs and 401ks. It's been waiting. You know, for for advisors that go, look, I'm not going to do this until it's, it's a spot ETF. Basically, the SEC has blessed it and said it's okay for you all to invest in, in Bitcoin. And then they're going to go, all right, I'll put my clients in this because I don't have to learn anything, and it sits on my custodial platform. It's now part of my um, um, reporting and billing and everything else, and I can do it super neatly. Um, a, more frustration for me is also it's a little bit lazy. Like for advisors to not learn it because you can put your clients in a spot ETF without having to learn just about anything about it because it's all wrapped up nice and neatly for you. And again, it's not like a whole lot of other assets. This is the most exciting new uh, development asset class evolution of money and the economy and finance we've seen in a hundred years. It would be really, uh, it would just be great for advisors to actually learn it and not just sit around and wait. So for all those reasons, I'm not really looking forward to it, but I am kind of looking forward to it in that when that happens, you'll have billions or trillions of dollars probably come in. And maybe that is the impetus to go, all right, we've seen what the demand is. Now now I'm going to go learn it. Like now that the SEC has blessed it, I've seen what the demand is and it's monstrous. The price has gone up. Now it's time for me to go learn it. But it is a little frustrating that we have to like take something that that with the whole point of it was disintermediation and wrap it all back up and put fees into it. Yeah, and it, it's sort of backwards, right? You you hear advisors mention this too, right? Where I, if you see the price go up, it's more attractive to invest. Which usually, you know, theoretically speaking, you think would be the opposite, right? Like there's a, markets have been down quite a bit. Not financial advice, but for me, I see that as an opportunity, right? Whereas on the other side of things. I, I think there are a lot of professionals that they're like, you know, oh, I see Bitcoin going up. That's, you know, maybe I will put some client money in there as it's like continuing to climb. Right. But playing devil's advocate on this, right. I am more of a, a purist in the sense that I would rather directly own my crypto. That is a personal choice, right? There, and along with that comes with me being more responsible for the custody of those assets, just overall management of it. On the flip side of this, like you mentioned, it's going to open up the floodgates whenever we see, maybe five years from now, who knows, um, see a spot ETF get approved in the States. It's been approved in other countries, Canada being one. uh, And we've seen that go over just fine, I think. Uh, But whenever it does happen in the States, it will open up the floodgates for every financial advisor who ever said that's what they were waiting on. It'll hopefully come with more regulatory clarity. Fingers crossed. Never know. It'll also, I think... We can both agree, even if we don't personally like it for, you know, kind of it's it's sort of not taking the best advantage of the technology itself. It also will, one, get more assets in the door, hopefully get advisors more open minded to learning about it. And also, once you have skin in the game, I think it's important to know, even if it's in an ETF, having skin in the game incentivizes people to take it upon themselves to learn more. So maybe it will take 
a financial advisor starting as sort of like the gateway investment of putting their clients in an ETF to learn about everything really cool that's being built out in DeFi and on other blockchain networks. You're, you're right. I, I think that's what it'll take for a huge mass adoption. When I say mass adoption, I mean mass financial advisor adoption is something like a spot ETF because that's the equivalent of guidance, right? That's the SEC saying, this is okay. We're, we're, we're good with this now. And, and you have to understand, and I know you understand this, what all goes into approving a spot Bitcoin ETF, which is there has to be enough liquidity. There has to be enough derivatives. Um, we have to feel comfortable that there's not, a, there's not a whole lot of market manipulation that can go on. All those things that the SEC is potentially, is well, at least that they say they're looking for, um, that, that they've said, okay, we're good with all this. Go, go put your money in, right? Because what that says is, not only we're approving a spot ETF, but we're approving Bitcoin as an investment at that point. Bitcoin is okay for you to invest in for the American public, for pensions, for, for retirement plans, for college savings, everything. It's okay to invest in Bitcoin now. We don't feel like it's a scam or a bubble or going to pop or manipulated by the Chinese or anything like that. It's okay now. And, and then you go, all right, now maybe it's time for me to learn about it. And once, you know, you know, once advisors get their clients into a spot ETF, then the next thing is, is going to be custodians and whoever going, did you know that you can get your clients the exact same exposure for less money because you can unwrap the ETF part and just put them in Bitcoin? And that's going to blow their minds. Like, oh, really? I can only underlying asset that's underneath this ETF? That's crazy talk, right? Which you and I both know that they can do right now, which is part of the frustration where, we want them to just own the, the Bitcoin. Um, but yeah, the, the spot ETF, when, if, when it gets approved, uh, will will definitely spur a tremendous amount of money and hopefully spur more advisors wanting to, to get in and learn. Because that, that's really what we want is, is get in and learn the technology. For sure. And while we're on that topic, right? So we're looking into the future with the, the spot Bitcoin ETF, right? Like hopefully we see that moving forward. Don't see how we wouldn't eventually, um, but that's just speculating. What options are available today? Obviously we talk a lot about direct ownership and just owning the actual Bitcoin or fraction of a Bitcoin or other crypto assets. What other solutions that maybe financial advisor, uh, financial advisors and other traditional investment professionals would see as more you know, familiar, something they're more comfortable with? What options are out there today? Um, so they have the options. If you're talking about staying kind of within their custodial realm, like not going into an outside custodian like a Gemini, um, but within their custodial realm, they they can go into something like GBTC, which is Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, or, or Grayscale has another one called ETH, E-T-H-E, which is an Ethereum trust, um, which usually sits within their custodial realm. They, there are crypto funds, like Bitwise has some um, and, and these are these are actual funds. These are not ETFs. These are actual funds. So Bitwise has some, um, and, and there are you know some other companies that have crypto funds. There are crypto ETFs that are not owning spot, but they're owning fu- they're they're trading futures. So there's Bitcoin futures ETFs. There's ETH futures ETFs. There are ETFs that that have crypto related companies in them. So publicly traded companies that are directly or indirectly in crypto that. Uh, there are ETFs that are built around those. So Valkyrie has some of those, for instance, which is like uh, an ETF that holds Bitcoin mining stocks like Riot and Marathon. They might own NVIDIA, which makes the, some of the chips. Uh, they might own you know, MicroStrategy, which is essentially a glorified Bitcoin ETF. Um, <laughs> they, they might own assets like or have assets like that as part of the ETF. So your clients get some exposure to the price of crypto without actually owning it or without actually having a spot ETF. So those options are there. If the advisors want to get into the realm of actually going with a crypto custodian, then they're custodians like Gemini and BitGo, and they use they have platforms built on top of them that allow the advisors to actually manage the client assets, manage portfolios, rebalance, all the things that we know and love, except they're at, at these crypto custodians, Gemini and BitGo, and they have platforms built on top like um, like Bitri- Gemini has Bitria, OnRamp, Eaglebrook. Uh, there's one called Height Zero that's built on top of BitGo. There's another one called Meet Amy that's coming out of Canada that's built on top of Gemini. Um, so there are several of those uh, platforms that we know of that are built on top of those custodians. If advisors want to go down that route and go, I actually want to manage my clients' crypto assets. 
Yeah. I mean, so, so there's a big menu out there right now, even if it does seem, you know, we always say we're so early and I think we definitely are. There's still a lot being built out. This is how markets are developed, right? You see the different products coming out and the different ways that large institutions and corporations and firms are getting involved and invested in this. I mean, there are a lot of different ways to do it. Um, and I think that's important to note too, because you don't really, people don't really talk about that a ton, right? Um, but looking back to the future now, so we talked about the future, then we talked about today, and now we're going to talk about the future again, just because I love kind of speculating on this question here. So you have experience as a financial advisor. You work with financial advisors regularly from an education standpoint today. You see a lot, um, you're at a unique vantage point where you can see what's going on in the traditional side of things as they stand today, where you think it's going from being involved and educated and for a long time now on the crypto and DeFi side of things. What does the portfolio of the future look like? You're a financial advisor even 10 years from now. What does a client portfolio look like and how does that differ from what it looks like today, in your opinion, if the space mm -hmm. continues to grow as it has anyways? That's that's such a fun question to kind of hypothecate on, postulate on, right? I'm, I mean, look, I I look out in, into the future a lot and, and I think I look out in the future a lot as if like I, you know, smoke a lot of something and just think about the future. Um, so I think what, what happens is one, we've seen so many, uh, especially younger investors that are eventually going to be middle-aged and older investors that are so interested in any sort of alternative assets, right? They're interested in crypto, obviously, which is what we're talking about today, but they're also interested in art and whiskey and wine and real estate and all these other assets that are not strictly just S&P future, S&P index funds. And so I think portfolios one, are, are going to have more alternatives and advisors are going to have more ability to manage all those alternatives in a, in a, in a platform, in a, in a um, technology that lets them see where the income streams are, where, where they're flowing out, where the risk is a lot more. The reason why more investors haven't gotten into those in, in the past is it doesn't, again, just like crypto, it doesn't fit neatly into what the advisor does. It's not an e there's not an easy way to own art within your investment portfolio, but that's getting easier and easier and easier. There will be an easier way to own crypto. What I think the portfolio of the future is going to have a lot more different types of uh, income streams in it. You, you have things like music royalties and art royalties. Um, you're going to have the ability to, as you know, be a liquidity provider for some sort of DeFi protocol or, or for some lending pool. Uh, there's going to be more income coming in that way and the ability to actually have something that looks like cash, but earn some sort of income. You're going to have more uh, risk or, or more, I guess, investment and risk allocated around the world in, in uh, different industries, again, in different income streams. You're going to have less correlation. It's not all going to be the stock market goes up or the stock market goes down, and therefore my portfolio is up and down. There's going to be so much more allocation, so much more diversification uh, that, that investors are able to do. And advisors are going to have the technology to be able to more easily manage, it, right? Because so the, the advisor relationship, it, it, in my opinion, again, this is me smoking something and looking out in the future. The advisor is going to have the ability to, to have the technology to go, I'm not necessarily going to choose all these things for you. I'm not going to put you in a portfolio of art, real estate, music royalties, and, and uh, Exxon stock. Like that, that's, it's not going to be that simple. Oh, oh, sorry. I forgot to add crypto in there and crypto. Um, I'm going to help you with your financial life. We're going to talk about what you what you like and don't like. There's probably some sort of AI behind the scenes that's uh, not behind the scenes. It's going to be front and center. Some AI, some bot that's going to say, based on your portfolio, here's your risk. Here's where you you should be able to get some more alpha, some more beta. Here's where you can take some of your risk off the table and get the same return. Uh, kind of like robo advisors do now, but do it across all these different potential investments that that most people don't have access to now. That's where I think the future of of portfolios goes, which means that's where the future of the advisor needs to go. Of My client is going to have multiple assets, multiple investments, multiple income streams based on those investments, custodied and held in different ways. And therefore, I as the advisor better know how to handle all that. And it sounds like a huge mouthful, but the technology is going to be there to help you. And it, just like I said, with going back, index funds, discount brokers, robo-advisors, ETFs, all of those things, the advisor is still going to be incredibly important with helping clients manage their financial life. 
because the, the impetus should not be on the investments and making it grow. It should be on managing the financial life, figuring out what you have now, what you're making, where you want to go, get you to your goals, take some of your risk off the table, make sure that, that you and your family are getting what you want. That's the role of the advisor. You're going to have much more technology and much more options to do that, right? Much more options to keep yourself safe and secure and your risk down and your, your returns where they need to, not up, but where they need to be to, to maintain your standard, to maintain your, your standard of living. And that's going to be the role of the advisor is making sure that all that is happening in sync. It's such a great a answer. answer. Yeah, that's a, such a good answer. And I think to, to your point on all of that, right? Like we live in a world of abundance and with that, it can seem very easily overwhelming, but there's just a lot to encompass. And again, like it, it doesn't mean the financial advisor's role will ever go away. I think it actually grows in, in importance as the complexity can, you know, there's more options out there. You need someone that is a subject matter, has the subject matter expertise more and more because you can't possibly keep up with all of it. And you need someone to be a well-educated guide and all of the things out there. And again, we're going to see tech become more and more important in that relationship as well. So I, I think what's also going to happen real quick, Kayla, like something you said, I think financial advisors sometimes are going to be play the role more of like general contractors in, in building, mm -hmm. right? You're going to have the general contractor financial advisor, and then you're going to have the specialist. And, and the GC is going to go to someone who's a specialist in crypto or real estate or art and go, can you help my client with this piece of their portfolio? And that specialist is going to go, yes, I can help them. I can help them understand it or figure out where it fits, or is this the best, the best way to invest in it? I think you're going to have much more of those types of roles where you don't have advisors kind of fighting each other for ownership of the client because the client's going to custody their own assets. It's going to be the, the, again, the general contractor and advisor, and then there's going to be the specialist advisors, and some of the, they're going to use different technologies. So I think that's going to be another direction that, that we're going to see the role of the advisor go. And like, sorry, but like, that's just going to happen. It's, it's just kind of a natural evolution of, of how the, the technology and the finance system and the role of the advisor goes. And you can either dig your heels in and say, I don't want to do that and I, and I don't like it. Or you can go, I'm going to roll with it and learn what I need to learn so that I can be there and continue my career when it happens. Yeah. Can you pivot? Can you adjust? Right. Because the only constant is change, as people always say. Um, well, we could talk about this all day. And in fact, we have uh, multiple times in the past few weeks, actually. But do have to cut it at some point here. And I always end with two questions, um, big ones, of course, that are up to too much speculation, which are always the fun ones. So looking at as, as two people who are very clearly deeply entrenched in the crypto space, believe in it fully. Obviously not everything is going to sustain itself with like the growth that we've seen, but as a whole, big picture, crypto, blockchain, DeFi, around a stay. Um, looking at best case, right? If we see even 5, 10, 15 years from now, if crypto quote unquote wins, if we see it become more, you know, more mass adoption, if we see that continue, if we see it deeply embedded in society in like every way we could possibly think of, what would the re the main reason for its success be? And on the flip side, doomsday situation, if we just see the entire crypto, DeFi, blockchain, all of this space somehow go up in flames, what would the reason for its failure be? Okay. So I'm, I'm going to start with the failure question because that's always easy, right? It, like it's easy to figure out why it goes to zero. And the super easy answer, is, as you and I have talked about, is regulation, right? The SEC could totally crush a lot of it. Now, in that respect, Crypto has, is very international. And a lot of people say, look, that would only actually make the case stronger. And the, the idea of, of trading crypto would, would just go outside the US, which, which would be fine. But I think the real answer to why crypto completely crumbles is, I think, is more technological. If someone figures out how to hack the Bitcoin network, for instance, which, by the way, contrary to what people think, Bitcoin network has never been hacked. If someone figures out how to hack it and drain all the Bitcoin out or introduce something that says all of a sudden there's not going to be 21 million Bitcoin, there's going to be 210 million Bitcoin. That I think would be the death knell because all of a sudden everyone would go, oh my gosh, like we put so much into that and it was gone in half a second in one block. That I think would would tell everyone who was a naysayer, everyone was a naysayer would go, see, we told you not to rely on technology so much. We still actually have to build real stuff and, and have real assets, I think that would be the actual death knell. I think it would be more of a technology play, a, a technology reason. The other question of what, what makes it you know, survive and thrive and, and, as you say, win. I think winning equals 
It's just the financial system, right? It just becomes a financial system. It is naturally more efficient. So what has to happen for it to win? Nothing. Like just keep going. That's it. Just keep going the way you're going. Keep having people adopting. Don't just don't totally screw it up by having someone come in and and keep hacking and taking all the money out. That's it. Just keep going because the evolution that this the, the the path is going down is totally natural. And so like I can't give a, a I don't think a better answer than there's no one thing that can make it all work. It's all working. It's it's working too fast for some people. It's working too slow for others. There's hacks and exploits and bad and good. And that's totally natural. It's happening at, it's happening at super speed because you have open source technology and internet, interconnected internet, right? The internet didn't happen as fast as it did because we didn't have the internet yet. Now we have the internet. Things happen a lot faster. It, it's, it's just going to happen. In 20 years, this is just going to be finance and you and I can't have this podcast anymore because it's just going to be called finance. Couldn't agree more. And I hope we're, we're both uh, still kicking it in this space to, to see that happen. Uh, well, Adam, thank you so much. This was great. Again, I, I think there are so many ways we could go with this. I'm sure I'll have you back on the podcast at some point because we always have things to talk about. But for those of you listening, again, over $110 trillion market just for RIAs alone. So do not sleep on this giant. It's something to look into. It's something to keep no- uh, take note of and see how it you know, progresses within the broader scope of traditional finance. And we'll certainly be covering it um, in episodes to come. So Adam, thank you so much again for taking the time. And thank you to everyone for listening. We'll be back next week with a new episode. Thank you so much. All opinions expressed by your hosts and the podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of the hosts or any of their affiliates. This podcast is for commercial and informational purposes only, is not investment advice, and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. We are not recommending any securities or cryptocurrencies, nor is this an offer or sale of a security or cryptocurrency.